Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. Dot the grovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We also welcome our conference call uh, saints, all of you on the conference call. We thank God for you. I want to talk this morning from the thought which is in the form of a question. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? American rapper, singer, songwriter, record producer, actor, and record executive, Kid Cudi, performed in a dress recently on Saturday Night Live. The rapper wore a floor-length floral dress by Off-White during a performance of his song, Sad People, on the show. The dress marked the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's Cobain's death, uh, deceased grunge performer. With, Cud, with Cuddy saying that it was a tribute to the Nirvana frontman who had worn a similar dress on the cover of the Face magazine in 1993. It appears Kid Cuddy didn't wear the dress as a cross-dressing member of the LBGTQ community. Wearing the dress was not perceived as an alliance with the LGBTQ community. Some critics have reportedly said wearing the dress had nothing to do with bravery. He was simply a straight performer in a costume. Eden Loweth, who goes by the pronoun they, and is the creative director of unisex unisex fashion label art school said, Cuddy's off-white dress has also brought up the issue of whether clothes should be gendered at all. Loweth strongly believes they shouldn't be. Society, she says, society perpetuates narratives onto items which from a very early age restricts and negatively impacts the developing minds of our children, end quote. What is today's text saying? The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. This was to ensure a clear, sacred distinction between the sexes. And I've seen this text, how this text has been taught primarily towards women forbidding them to wear pants. There are some women today, perhaps mostly in Pentecostal context, who will not wear pants at all, ever, because of this verse. Moses is telling the up and coming generation of worshipers who will enter and conquer Canaan, they are not to wear what pertaineth to the opposite sex. The word pertaineth has a wide range of meanings. Women were not to wear a man's mantle, his garment. It also included his jewelry, 
tools, weapons, armor, utensils, or not even a cloth used to cover a man as he slept. Have you ever seen a man's blanket or a woman's blanket? We just got blankets at our house. Now, I ain't, you ain't going to catch me in no, you, no Snuggie. <laughs> but what is the issue here? Is cross-dressing forbidden? If a woman puts on her husband's t-shirt, is she committing sin? If a woman's foot is a certain size, and she can buy sneakers from the boys' section of the store, is she committing sin when she buys and wears a boy's sneaker? If a young boy or man wants to wear dresses and tutus in public, is he committing sin? Was LeBron committing sin that time he was carrying that merce in that interview? Remember he was carrying that man purse and he got so upset, he grabbed his merce and walked off the set. A merce, a man's, a purse designed for men. They actually have merces. Is it okay to carry a merce as it is a man's, a person designed for men? Was Tyler Perry committing sin when he dressed as Medea? How about Martin Lawrence as Big Mama? Or Eddie Murphy as Mama Clump? Was Kid Cudi in sin when he wore his dress at Saturday Night Live recently? Or is it okay if it was a dress designed for him as a straight man to wear as he performed? When I taught at the Fort Valley State University, I required my students to wear professional business attire for certain occasions. So if they had to make a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation, they had to, they had to be in professional business attire. Gentlemen had to wear suits, shirts, dress shirt, necktie, bow tie, dress shoes. Women had to wear skirts, blouse, blazer, women's suit, pantsuit, and women's shoes. I was shocked when, when, when they showed up to make their presentations and some sisters were wearing men's suits, men's dress shirts, men's neckties, and men's dress shoes, and looked better than the brothers. <laughs> I was shocked. I ain't gonna lie, I was shocked. This is 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. Shocked. There are young ladies attending their prom wearing men's tuxedos. Young men attending their high school prom wearing makeup, eyelashes, women's pantsuits, and women's heels. Are they committing sin? What is the issue in Deuteronomy 22 and 5? Why is cross-dressing explicitly articulated as an abomination unto the Lord? Is this an issue of transgenderism? Where transgender people have a, a gender identity or gender expression that differs from the sex that they were assigned at birth? Or are we dealing with transvestitism? Simply wearing the clothes of the opposite sex. Herod Torger Vettler published an article on Deuteronomy 22 and 5 in the Journal of Biblical Literature. He, as many other Bible scholars, posed the question as to whether the verse addresses transvestitism. Is transvestitism or are transvestites an abomination unto the Lord based on Deuteronomy 22 and 5. Vettler, Vettler said, and I quote, Transvestitism is often simply defined as the practice of one gender wearing clothing specifically designated as ex exclusive to the other. Gender-specific objects or garments are part of the larger concept of gender roles, which form a basic feature of one's place in society. 
While it is not difficult to imagine someone wearing the garments of a different gender for purely practical reasons, example, a man wearing a woman's coat to survive in a blizzard, for example, such circumstances are not likely to be viewed as transvestitism. The etymology of the term transvestite itself implies some sort of crossing between categories and, in most cases, the decision to wear an article of clothing or use an, an object, uh, use an object specific to another gender is done with the intention of mimicking that gender in some way. Vedler goes on to say, there is little evidence of transvestitism elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible or in other material from ancient Israel, but evidence of both transgender behavior and or mythology does exist in the neighboring cultures of Canaan, Mesopotamia, and Egypt, end quote. Whether the issue in Deuteronomy 22 and 5 is that of transvestitism is unclear. After much study, prayer, conversations with others who study the Bible, I am not in a position to declare that the abomination in Deuteronomy 22 and 5 is that of transvestitism. What is meant by abomination? To say something is an abomination it comes from the Hebrew word toeba. Toeba is to say God finds it disgusting. He finds it uh, loathing. He, it's something he loathes. It's something he abhors. And there are other things listed in scripture as an abomination. If you don't mind, meet me at Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. Proverbs 6 and 16. I'm going to read Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 where we find a list of other stuff. <laughs> That's an abomination. Unto the Lord. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. That word abomination in Proverbs 6, 16 is the same word as abomination in Deuteronomy 22 and 5. Yea, seven are in abomination, toeba unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, which the pulpit commentary says these are evil thoughts in all men's hearts, but the devising, uh, fabricating of them, and thus making the heart into a devil's workshop is the mark of utter depravity and wickedness and is abhorrent to God. Feet that be running, the verse continues, feet that be running, that, that be swift in, in running to mischief. That's, that's when somebody is, 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 has a sense of urgency to hurt people, to do something wrong. Then verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Folk who stir up mess, God finds that an abomination. Folk who tell lies, God finds that an abomination. Folk who are quick to do wrong, to stir up mess. Folk, folk who bear false witness, folk who lie on folk, God finds that an abomination. The expositor's Bible commentary posits the contrast to Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 is worthy of our hearing and meditative consideration. If he hates these things, the commentary says, then conversely he must love and desire humility, 
truthful speech, preservation of life, pure thoughts, eagerness to do good things, honest witnesses, and peaceful harmony. What exactly is the abomination in Deuteronomy 22 and 5? It isn't clear since the verses does not since the verse does not go into does not go into detail as to what specifically is wrong with cross-dressing. We can only make assumptions. And transvestitism was a part of religious practices in Egypt, Canaan, and Mesopotamia. It could be that God was saying through Moses, he did not want his people, his holy people, to engage in such, such practices as part of their religion or culture. Perhaps God knew Israel would be pressured to adopt the practices of other religions and cultures and become just like them. It could be that we need to examine Deuteronomy 22 and 5 through a similar filter of holiness. To be honest, I'm not sure why this verse is in the Bible. I'm not clear as to what specifically about cross-dressing that makes it an abomination unto the Lord. But I am crystal clear that what you wear matters to God. What you wear matters to God. I need somebody to put that in the comments. What you wear, what we wear matters to God. What you wear, what I wear, what we wear as his people matters to God. Now, God says something very interesting when Samuel went to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to become the next king of Israel. God said in 1 Samuel 16, 7, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's standards by which he accepts or rejects someone differs from our own. He looks at the heart. Now, in Deuteronomy 22 and 5, God's word addresses outward appearance. God is telling Samuel that he will not necessarily handpick a servant based on a resume or logical criteria. Don't look at the outward appearance. Just because they look like they'd make a great king doesn't mean they would make a great king. He can look at the heart and see someone's motives. God can look at the heart and see if someone will be true to their character. God can look at someone and see if they and see what they're really made of. He can look into the heart and see if someone will be faithful, courageous, resilient, compassionate, integrous, or or exhibiting integrity, merciful. God can look into our hearts and see if we see if we'll be humble, loving. God can also look into someone's heart and see if they're broken. My sermon title poses the question, what are you wearing? Brokenness is something everyone ought to wear. God loves to see us wear that brokenness. Psalm 51, 17 says this. This is David after he committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. He's broken. And he says to God in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise we see Jesus respond to a sister who comes to him wearing brokenness I want to I want you to meet me at Luke chapter 7 verse 36 this I'm not going to read the entire passage minister Lester already read it it's a story about a broken woman coming to Jesus weeping with with an alabaster box 
of ointment. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, verses 36 to 51. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. A Pharisee named Simon. This woman comes in. She's broken, you can tell. She's broken, she's weeping. She washes his feet with her hair. She anoints his feet with his expensive oil. She wipes his feet with her hair. While Simon the Pharisee and everybody else just stands there looking at her and judging, judging her. This sister shows us what to wear. She, she's wearing brokenness. Again, she's broken now. She can't stop crying in his presence. She's sacrificing a very expensive alabaster box of ointment. This box of ointment cost a day's wages, but she gave it up to wash and anoint Jesus' feet along with her tears and her hair. She's broken. She seems to know she doesn't have it all together, but she comes to Jesus. She's quiet. She's very likely uninvited. <laughs> the houses were designed where sometimes it could be open. You know, the, you, you could walk up and down the street and you could look into people's houses. And she heard that Jesus was there. And as, she, as she's walking up and down the street, she, she could probably look into Simon's house. And she, she welcomed herself into the house and at Jesus' feet. She worshipped him broken. The good news is brokenness is a unisex garment. All of us can wear it. All of us need to wear it. For a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise, loathe, abhor. He will definitely not consider a broken spirit an abomination. But in this scenario, Jesus shows us what to wear. He, he shows us something else to wear. He he accepted her worship. He forgave her. He spoke to Simon, the host of Pharisee, commending this woman. Jesus shows us something else to wear. Jesus accepting her and forgiving her and commending her shows us he is wearing holiness that lovingly, mercifully, and very compassionately acknowledges sin as sin. He is wearing holiness that lovingly, mercifully, and very compassionately acknowledges sin as sin. This too is a unisex garment. All of us can wear this type of holiness. And perhaps he, as God in the flesh, could wear this garment and look beyond her outer appearance and her lifestyle and see her brokenness. Maybe Jesus could clearly see what happened to her in the past to push her into a life of sin. Jesus, as he wears this garment of holiness, he spoke to her. Let's not overlook that. He spoke directly to her, this broken sinner. Isn't that awesome? That he didn't wait until he left Simon's house and talked to his boys and said, why didn't y'all keep that woman off me? And what was, what was your cousin wearing, Peter? What, was that your cousin, Bartholomew? What, what your girl have on, man? What, bruh, my feet's still wet, man. I thought y'all, I done told you, we talked about this. Where were my armor bearers? Keep your sister off me, man. Y'all know, bruh, really? He loved her enough to talk to her. He didn't talk about her after she left. He didn't talk about her behind her back. He spoke directly to her. Let's wear that. If you have issues with what you see as someone in sin, then talk to them. I learned a lot yesterday. 
about the power of conversations with people who are having identity issues as it relates to gender. Conversations can be empowering. Conversations can be liberating. If you want to love the sinner but hate the sin, then love the sinner enough to talk to them, listen to them, hear them like Jesus did. This is something we must wear. This is what Moses is trying to get Israel to wear as they enter Canaan. Moses representing one generation speaks to another generation. So they will wear a garment of holiness that loves the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength. How does one generation for whom it was a no-brainer as to how to deal, how, how, how to deal with whether we dress as men or women or boys or girls. How, how does one generation deal with another generation where there's a lot more flexibility it's normal to see boys in girls' clothes or girls in boys' clothes. It's, it's no big deal. We have a generation in our families and in our churches, including this one, where we need to do more, we need more loving, mercifully compassionate conversations. We need to do more in addressing this issue with love, mercy, and compassion. If we are going to be a community of holy folk, a church family, then we need to wrestle with this issue of what we wear outwardly and inwardly. This holiness that loves God like that acknowledges whatever he says is sin is sin. This is what parents need to wear. This is what pastors need to wear. This is what everyone in the Lord's church needs to wear. This is what the woman, this is what the woman who needed her savior, this, this is what the woman needed her savior to wear. I wonder if holiness that lovingly, mercifully, and very compassionately acknowledges sin as sin may be something she needed from her family, her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, her aunts, her uncles. I wonder if she needed them to wear this type of holiness. Family members wearing this type of holiness that acknowledges sin as sin sees sin in themselves and others. Wearing this type of garment, this type of holiness, should keep fathers, brothers, and uncles from molesting their daughters, sisters, and nieces. Wearing this garment should keep pastors and deacons from molesting little girls and little boys in the church. A garment of holiness that lovingly, mercifully, and very compassionately acknowledges sin as sin is a unisex garment. But can y'all see what Simon the Pharisee is wearing? He shows us what not to wear. Listen, Simon, Simon posed a question. If, if this preacher, if this rabbi, if, if this so-called savior knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her be all up on him like that. He shows us what not to wear. Rigid, merciless self-righteousness that lacks compassion. This type of garment cares nothing about a sinner's story. It prevents us from seeing how, how we may have more religion than relationship with God. It shows we can be more absorbed with the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. This rigid, merciless self-righteousness will make you see other folks sin but miss your own. And have a problem with other folks sin but justify your own. This too can be a unisex garment. Men and women can wear it. What's sad though, what's sad, this woman leaves Simon's house forgiven, but Simon never repents. 
repents for how he looked at this woman. Never repents for how he did not treat Jesus. Jesus' chat with Simon the Pharisee provides an update on fashion. In fact, in fact, in another passage, Jesus invites us with a fashion update that may help all of us modern-day Pharisees. Jesus says, I, there's an accessory I need you to wear. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The good news is the yoke of Christ is a unisex accessory. All of us can wear it. And he has your size. Now Jesus forgives this sister. She never asked for it. She's a sinner. She's forgiven. She never asked for it. She received this forgiveness. But what if? What if this sister would have jumped up and said, I don't need to be forgiven. What if she, like some who cross-dress today, like some of the trans people we love, feel like they have no need for Jesus' forgiveness, nor the church's forgiveness? What if black trans people, especially black trans women, feel like they need acceptance and protection from everyone, including the church, rather than forgiveness? Some people within the LGBTQ community took offense to Kid Cudi wearing that dress on Saturday Night Live. They feel like he got a pass wearing a dress while they get bullied and killed for it. One person said for them it's a trend, a costume. For trans people, it's life and death. It has been reported that, that some 13 transgender people have been murdered in 2021 so far, according to the Human Rights Campaign, which is a 333% increase from 2020. Our trans loved ones are looking for acceptance. They need what we all need to belong. How will we as God's holy people love them? We wear the garments of Jesus. We demand that our holiness is demonstrated in loving, merciful, and compassion. As we acknowledge sin as sin, we're loving enough to have conversations. Paul provided some critical fashion tips. Let me give them to you and I'm going to wrap this up. Paul provided some, some critical fashion tips in Romans 13, 12 to 14. Romans 13, 12 to 14. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity, or in immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Gives us another fashion tip in Galatians 3.27, which says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Then he says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Some people take that verse to mean gender doesn't matter. Well, that's, we can't go too far with this now. Paul was not saying gender does not matter. Paul was saying God save women just like he saved men. 
God will redeem women just like he redeemed men. God, there, women and men in the body of Christ are on equal footing. We may have different functions in certain, certain capacities, but we're all one in Christ. Then Ephesians 4.24, Paul gives us another fashion tip. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Then in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I'm done when I tell you this. Wear what Jesus wore. Wear holiness that lovingly, mercifully, and compassionately acknowledges sin as sin. Love people enough to have tough conversations with them. Take off garments of rigid self-righteousness that won't even, won't even move you to repent. Put on humility that looks like repentance. Amen. I am intentionally, deliberately, leaving some questions unanswered. God is awesome. I'm stuck. But I do know this. You can mistreat someone in sin and be worse than them. I don't want to be guilty of that. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark, and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.